What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. chapter 17 verse 11 and it'll be we'll be looking at 11 through 19 and it's a fitting passage it's about really gratitude and thankfulness and um, getting into it I want to kind of look at two questions I want these two questions to be in your mind as we look at this you know and those questions are what does um, oops I'm not gonna be able to figure this out can you get it? What does giving thanks look like for the follower of Jesus? And what are God's thoughts on receiving thanks? Okay. What should giving thanks look like for the follower of Jesus? And what are God's thoughts on receiving thanks? So we're in Luke, again, 17. And this is the passage where Jesus will heal or cleanse um, 10 lepers. All right. So let's, let's read verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he... Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Okay. So Jesus, he's been walking through the village. I love yelling. It's great. He's been walking from village to village, healing, teaching. Um, He's the son of God. So he's performing miracles. The religious leaders don't like this. Um, and so he's entering this village between Samaria and Galilee, which is on the, uh, the northern part of uh, Israel. And he is about to enter this village, and there's ten lepers. So these are um, outcasts of society, basically. They're in a quarantine, and they're at a distance, which is, according to Levitical law, they couldn't come near the village. So they were, you know, because of the disease sake, they stayed home in a sense, like Pastor Matthew, you know, because he's sick, doesn't want to get everyone sick. It's the same concept, only it's a disease and it's um, not humorous at all. But so they're at a distance, right? And they cry out to Jesus. They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Okay, because there's not a cure for leprosy in biblical times. And so there's only one cure, basically, and that's you know, God, that's his mercy and his um, goodness. So leprosy, I've, uh, I've included no graphic photos because it is, it actually is really kind of hard to look at. So I have just a couple of, yeah. Basically, it would be um, these sores that would pop out on your skin and they'd be open sores. They'd kind of fester and they'd actually have a smell. They would stink. Um, but the, the main problem with leprosy is that it would deaden your nerves Right, And so what would end up happening is you'd have people who would lose fingers and toes and slowly but surely they'd just like they'd lose their limbs because they'd be walking. Right. And they wouldn't know that there was, 
you know, a stump or something and they'd kick a rock and they'd be bleeding, but they wouldn't know it because their nerves are dead. They don't feel the pain, right? Or they'd be touching something that's hot and their skin would just be melting and have no idea. So what would happen is you'd have these guys, these um, lepers, who would be, you know, ostracized from society, but then they'd have no limbs, right? They'd be kind of at a loss, at a disadvantage. And um, in the Bible, the term leprosy actually is kind of a, a general term for a bunch of um, skin diseases, right? So in Leviticus 13 and 14, there are like tests that the priests would do to see, is it this type of leprosy? Is it that type? Because they just lumped it all under one category. Today, we know it um, kind of as Hansen's disease. And according to Google, who is always true, it is a chronic bacterial disease that affects the skin, the peripheral nerves, and the upper airway. It deadens nerve endings, and it causes damage, right, because of that. There's open sores, there's patchy skin, it's visible. But so, yeah, I'll tell the story. So when I was a, a younger person, I was um, helping in children's ministry, and we had this kid who came in, and this kind of illustrates it. We had a kid who came in, just been to the dentist, and they'd like numbed his lip, right? So he doesn't realize this, but he's been chewing on his lip all day, right? Just kind of grinding at it. And it's festering and it's like literally bleeding because he has no idea, but he's just, you know, talking. But it's the same concept. You just, you have no control over it, no idea. And so it's the same thing, but we, we see God has established a great amount of wisdom in dealing with this. Um, in Numbers 5, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is in verse 2, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous, who has a discharge, everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. So it's transmitted through exposure, right? So they ostracize, there's distance. And also in uh, Leviticus, it says, the leprous person who has the disease, not only were they ostracized, but they also had to identify themselves as this way. They shall wear torn clothes and they shall let the hair of their head hang loose and they shall cover their upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And they shall remain unclean as long as they have the disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So picture this, you know, you have these guys that have ripped clothes. They're outside the camp and they stick together because... Right? They can't be with anyone else, and you know people need contact with one another. So they're all together. They're unclean. And rather than cry out unclean to Jesus by covering their lip, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Right? They're asking for a healing. They're asking for a miracle. So it's, a, it's an isolated existence, right? That would be miserable. You know, they wouldn't get to have kids. They probably didn't get to kiss their spouses, you know, goodbye or whoever, their parents, because you don't want to get them sick. So basically, oh, I have this disease. All right, I'll see you maybe never. It was essentially a death sentence, right? So they're crying out for mercy from Jesus. And um, they say, you know, master rather than rabbi. Luke's actually the only one who uses the term master. It happens six times here rather than the Jewish word rabbi. It's kind of the same as teacher. It still has that authority. But because Luke is Jew, uh, uh, Gentile, Greek, right? they use that word. Interesting. So they come to the king of mercy. They come to the right place, right? Because Jesus comes to seek and to save the lost. 
And it says, moving on in verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. So at the first glance, right, they cry out for mercy. Jesus, have master, have mercy. And it seems kind of dismissive that he says, well, go and show yourself to the priest. Right? He doesn't walk over there. He doesn't put his hands on him. He doesn't heal him. He doesn't say, hey, your faith has made you well. He just says, go and show yourselves to the priest. So at first reading, it can seem dismissive. But what's actually happening is he's asking the lepers to follow the Jewish law. Right? He's asking them. If you look in Leviticus, again, 13, 14, God devotes two chapters to the identification of these diseases, what to do with them. But in 14, he also devotes a whole chapter to what to do when you're cured of leprosy, what to do when you're healed from leprosy. So there's all sorts of tests. You know, the priest would examine this person when they think they have leprosy. They'd look at it. If it was a certain color, a certain shape, they'd isolate them for seven days. They'd pull them out again. Has it spread? No. You're right. And it's just uh, like a Venn diagram. If yes, do this. If no, do this. Right? So there's all these tests. But so Jesus is saying, hey, go and show yourself to the priest. And he will examine you. So he's asking them to fulfill the law. Right? But it's important when you look at leprosy. And um, as a side note, I know the first portion of this might be just kind of like a concept. But it really, um, it's actually really interesting. I think I'm kind of a nerd though. So when you look at leprosy in the Bible, it's a divine problem. I'd mentioned there's only two cures ever from the beginning of mankind until Jesus' time, right? There's only two recorded cases of it ever being cured. And one of them we're going to look at in Numbers 5 real fast, and then we'll jump back to Luke after this. It said, when the cloud removed from the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. So this is Miriam, Moses' sister, right? Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And basically, Miriam and Aaron had opposed something that Moses had did, had done, and they um, kind of condemned him for it. But God vindicates Moses and puts leprosy on Miriam, Moses' sister. So it says, when the cloud was removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow, like white and ashen. And Aaron turned toward Miriam because she was leprous. This is his sister. And he said to Moses, his brother, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and sinned. And listen to this description of what leprosy was. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her, please. But he says, let her not be as one dead. So the recognition of this is terminal. As soon as this happens, it's, all right, she's done. She has to leave. She's essentially dead to me. So he says, let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is eaten away, right? It's rotting. It's peeling. And um, God does end up healing her, which is good because he's merciful, right? And this is after he establishes the seven-day rule of seven days in isolation, get examined, get examined. So that's the one healing. The other healing is in uh, 2 Kings 5 with um, Naaman. He's a, he's a Gentile, a, a Syrian believer, and he washes and goes to Elisha the prophet, and that's the only way it's cured. But I want you to think, so there is a whole chapter in the Bible, a whole chapter, devoted on what to do if you're cured, okay? But there's only two recorded cases in the whole Bible of people being cured, right? And it's, it's there for a reason. 
so because it's a, a picture of sin, leprosy is, you know, God-given, it seems like in the Bible. There was a, a lot of stigma surrounding this person as leprosy, so they must have done some great sin, some great evil. And because of that, um, they not only were ostracized, but they were really looked down upon. You know, you'd see them wandering through with their hands covered, crying out unclean, and people didn't want to be near them. They stank, they smelled. So that's the life that these 10 men are leading, right? If they have to go to the village or the market to buy food or whatever, you know, the place clears out. There's a, there's a lot of problem to it. But so when he says, go show yourselves to the priests, this is the chapter of healing. This is essentially, after they get to the priests, this is what should happen when they're declared clean. In Leviticus 14, verse 2 through 9, it says, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. Again, the priest goes out of the camp, so they don't come into the camp. And the priest shall look. Then, if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who is to be clean two live, clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. And he shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleaned of this leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field. And he who is cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that he may come into the camp, but live outside the tent for seven days. And on the seventh day, again, he shaves everything, his beard, his eyebrows, his hair, and he shall shave off all his hair. Then he shall wash his clothes, bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. But notice the picture there. Since leprosy is a picture of sin, the only established cure and remedy is you have these two birds, right? And you kill one over water, and that way, you know, there'd be enough blood to dip this other bird in. You dip it so it's covered in this other blurred other birds' blood, then you take this cedar wood, this hyssop, hyssop which is a, a bush, and a scarlet, that's red, yarn. You tie it around, make a brush, basically, and kind of paint this bird, and then you let it go free. Right? And the picture is, as you can imagine, it's one of salvation. It's one of a picture of what God will do for every believer who calls on Jesus' name. Right? Jesus dies. We're covered in his blood. And then we basically let free. So it's a beautiful picture. But again, a whole chapter devoted to only two times happening. So um, it's actually really interesting. I know it's kind of like reading a law book. We're not going to do it. But there's another seven days. There's grain offerings, trespass offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings. But it's a picture, again, of Jesus' shed work on the cross. And all of this, all of that, and only God was the solution. Only God is the cure. So when Jesus asks them to show themselves to the priest, what's actually happening is he says, hey, go show yourself to the priest. But they're missing a step, right? Does anyone know what that step is? They haven't been healed. They have not been cured yet. So he's saying, hey, go, to, go show yourself to the priest. Well, they're going to limp around because, you know, they might not have toes or feet. They're going to get to the priest and he's going to say, what are you doing here? You know, you're, you're not clean, obviously. Like I see that it's spreading. I still see open sores. Get out of here. 
right? So he's asking for them, these lepers, to walk in faith, right? He's asking them to move on in faith, to put feet to their faith. <clears throat> Moving on, verse 14. And it says, and as they went, they were cleansed, okay? This word is katharizo in the Greek. I did a lot of this, so buckle in. Um, to make clean, to cleanse, and to purify. The cleaning is typically physical or ceremonial or um, moral cleansing. It's, it's what's used in Ephesians 5.26, the same word, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. 1 John 1.9 if we confess our sins, right? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the same word. So these guys are cleansed, right? From their leprosy though. So kind of zoom out, look at the picture. Jesus is asking them to walk in faith and as they go, they're cleansed. So if leprosy is a picture of sin, of death, right? Separation from God, separation from others, it's kind of like Romans 6.23, right? The wages of sin is death, right? What you earn from your sin is death. And then you look at Jesus, and by crying to him for mercy, he's the only cure. That's what these lepers do. Jesus, you know, master, save us. He's the only cure. The only recorded way is through God. That's Ephesians 2.8, right? For by grace, you've been saved. And then you look, and how does he want him to do it? By walking out through faith, right? Go show yourself to the priest. That's the only way. And so, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, right? Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's actually a really beautiful picture of the gospel message. Um, but sadly, that's kind of all it gets to as a picture. Because, as we're going to look at, nine of these guys were only cleansed physically. And I think we have reason to believe that only one of them was actually cleansed, both physically, healed, and spiritually. So in verse 15, then one of them, as he's walking, when he saw that he was healed, he turns back and praising God with a loud voice, he fell on his face at Jesus' faint feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So again, you picture they're limping down the road and you kind of wonder how it happens. How do they find out they're healed? You know, do they, one of them stub their toe and realize like, ow. Like, I, I feel pain, right? And you can picture just this scene. They start jumping around, whatever. They start screaming and hollering. Well, that's what this guy does, right? He sees that he's healed. And this word, by the way, is iaomi, uh, which is to cure, to heal. But it also is more like to restore and to make whole. So not only is the disease gone, but the, the nubs that were there are now fingers, right? It, the Bible paints this picture of they're all restored back to their original selves, right? So he sees his hands. He sees his, you know, ah, loses his mind, right? He can paint his nails again, right? Some of those girls might really love that. Um, but he's, he's made whole. He's, he's totally restored. And the first thing he does that I love is he turns back, right? He says, I know I'm supposed to go see the priest. I know I'm going to go through this ritual, but I want to go give thanks. And this is where we're going to look at that first question. I want to go give thanks to the one who healed me, right? So as he's going, it says he's praising God with a loud voice, right? He's, he's hollering. And I, and I want you to think, um, what is this that he's putting on hold? Because you, you picture like, oh, we got healed. That's great. 
But when he's not going to the priest, what he's delaying is his old life, right? He's putting on hold, hey, I'm going to go see my family. I'm going to go see my parents. I'm going to go, you know, do all the things I couldn't do. I'm going to go talk by the water cooler about whatever at work. He couldn't do that. So, right, he's putting everything on hold and he's saying, I'm going to turn back and I'm going to thank the one who did this. I'm going to praise God. So as he's going, he's praising God with a loud voice. Okay. So the first question, what does giving thanks look like in the life of a follower of Jesus? I think it's loud praise. You know, honestly, the word um, dox is to extol, to magnify, to worship, to celebrate. So he is praising, right? That's the first thing that a believer should do. Psalm 98, 4. We are no longer orphans, but we've been adopted into the family of God. He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us, right? We've escaped an eternity of isolation and torment in hell, eternal sufferings. And it's only because of the goodness of God, right? It's only because his faithfulness. So the natural response should be make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praise, right? Loud praise, great praise. And I think a, a life that a believer has this should be one of the defining characteristics. You know, whether we have all the money in the bank or whether we have a good car or not, you know, ultimately we've been saved from an eternity of hell, right? We've been delivered from judgment and punishment. And so whether this life is good, God promises eternal goodness, right? He promises eternal faithfulness. So no matter the circumstance, I think one of the characteristics should be loud praise. You know, when you think about man, I don't have to, you know, walk in sin anymore. I don't have to be a slave to things I don't want to do, right? I've been delivered. I've been set free. The second thing he does, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. The word is pipto, which means to go from a higher place to a lower place, right? Basically the definition of fall, to be thrust down, to prostrate oneself. But it's, it's a show of humility, right, of being lesser than something. He recognizes Jesus, master, this healer. He goes from being just a healer to also his redeemer, right, to being someone that he worships. And I, I like that the Bible, you know, because you have people who think, oh, well, Jesus never said he was God. He never declared he was God, which is totally not true. But this is a good verse to show them, right? He's praising God loudly, and then he gets to Jesus, and he doesn't stop and, like, oh, I'm not going to praise you because you're not God. He continues to praise, right? He continues to fall at his feet and to thank him. Jesus never stops that. If you look at all the angels, anytime that a man worships an angel in the Bible, they always tell him, stop, what are you doing? Like, I'm not God. Stop worshiping me. Jesus never does that. So, side note, it's a great note. But he falls. He shows humility. Um, and it's the same word that Satan uses when he's tempting Jesus in Matthew 4 9. Right? He asks him to fall down and worship him. And Jesus obviously says no, but that's the same word. So it's not, um, the worship word is not proskuneo, but we'll get that later. Um, but it shows the first half. It shows the humility that needs to come with it. It's the same word in Revelation 19.4 where all the elders and the four creatures fall down before the lamb who's victorious. Um, so I think James 4.6, right? Something that should mark the life of a believer is that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. So not only do we give thanks with loudly, 
But we also recognize as believers, like, I'm not that great. You know, I'm just a person. Like, I am human. I was born. I will die. You know, so rather than exalt ourselves, the Bible is calling us to humble ourselves under Jesus at his feet. Now, the last thing he does is he gives him thanks. The word is Eucharisteo, to give thanks, to be grateful, to be thankful. And it's actually where they get the word Eucharist, right? Uh, communion. And it's what Jesus does before handing out communion. That's why it has the word, right? When he breaks the bread, he gives thanks to the Father. And then when he feeds the 5,000, same thing. So this is a uh, give thanks. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The third thing that I think every believer should exemplify when giving thanks, yes, loud praise. Yes, you need to be humble. But third, you just give thanks. Like, how does a believer give thanks? You just give thanks. That's, that's what you do. Um, because you recognize, again, I haven't done anything of myself. I'm not that great. God's done all the work. So he's the only one to be worshipped. Now, uh, the second question, what are God's thoughts on receiving thanks? I think that's what we really see. And that's kind of the, the focal point of, I think, what the passage is teaching. Yes, Jesus heals 10 lepers miraculously. And I love that the Bible is just like, yeah, it happened. That's, that's what happened. But it's not like, how do you do it? We don't know. Um, I love that it's just a simple statement of fact. But there's always a deeper meaning. So though it's not a parable, I think we can definitely apply how God uh, reacts to worship, how God reacts to people bringing thanks. So what are God's thoughts on receiving thanks? Then, verse 17, Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? So the first thing, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? It's kind of it's kind of tricky. It's kind of loaded because, well, one, they're doing what he said, right, to go show themselves to the priest so they don't come back. But it also recognize that when they go to the priest, their expectation is, all right, I'm going to do the two-bird ceremony. I'm going to offer sin, trespass, grain, uh, guilt offering, burnt offering. That's what it was. Um, and then I'm going to go worship in the temple. But that's not where God is at this point, Right? Only one guy caught on to the realization that, wait, if Jesus or if God is the only one who can cure leprosy and this guy cured me, then that means that he's God, right? Only one guy catches on, turns back and goes to see that. So what's happening is, is the nine, yes, they're healed physically, but they were never awakened to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, right? So he recognizes he's clean. And he goes back, hey, I got to go back to Jesus, right? Because God's not in the temple. Like, though there's a holy of holies, and though it's a building and a structure, he's not there anymore. He's walking over there. He just healed me, right? So God's thoughts, Jesus' thoughts on receiving thanks, I think, one, he notices who does not um, give him thanks, right? He says, weren't ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Only one guy came to give thanks. Only one guy caught on to the fact. Where are the other nine guys? It's um, something that I think we see in the world. You know, something I think we see 
all around us and are kind of dead to it, kind of numb to it, is like, yes, we go back and we give thanks to Jesus for all he's done. But then we look around, right? And we see unbelievers, friends, family, and it's like, wait, why aren't they giving praise? Why aren't they worshiping? Don't they recognize all they've been given, right? I mean, do you guys see that? So Jesus says, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Um, foreigner there is um, a word meaning like other tribe. So because um, he's a Samaritan, right? It makes note that, hey, this guy's a Samaritan. And I love that the Jews who have leprosy and the Samaritans who had leprosy, they're all mingled together. They don't care at that point, right? They have a common bond of, hey, we're all in this together kind of mindset, which I think is cool that it breaks down those walls. But so Jesus says, only this foreigner came back to give praise. And I, I think that's us because, I mean, we're not Jewish. So in the same sense, we're this other tribe, right? That God's, he went out to the Jews, right? And he offered them their Messiah, Jesus, and they crucified him, right? So then he, in the parable of um, the wedding feast, he goes out to all the streets, all the highways. He gets anyone, right? God is willing that none should perish, that all should be saved. So he doesn't care that he's a foreigner, he makes note of it, but I think it's more in the sense of um, where the uh, centurion is healed, right? And he says, like, oh, do you want me to come to your house and I'll heal your servant? And the centurion says, no, no, I have people under me, right? I have people under my own authority. So you say the word and it'll happen. Like, I know that you have that authority, right? And then Jesus says, hey, I haven't seen such faith in Israel, but, you know, this Gentile has this faith. I think it's the same kind of picture where it's, only this foreigner caught on, right? It's not a point of credit, criticism. It's a point of praise, right? Only this guy recognizes. So the first thing I think is God totally recognizes when people don't give him thanks, right? He sees what isn't happening. And in Malachi 1.6, it's uh, God speaking to the nation of Israel. And this is um, during the, after the, um, before Jesus, after all the kings, right? This, the nation's in turmoil. And the reason is kind of listed here. A son honors his father and a, a master is honored by his servant. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Right? This is absolutely true in the life of the believer. Regardless the circumstances of the temporary, God has promised you know, goodness eternally. And in his presence forever so because of that you know we have the obligation i think to offer this response right to offer praise to offer worship so was no one found to return and give praise except this foreigner then he says to him rise and go your way your faith has made you well so God recognizes not only when it's not given, but he recognizes when thanks is given, right? But he also rewards it. Interesting as well, when it says, your faith has made you well, uh, your Bible will probably have a footnote on the word made well, and it'll say something like, your faith has saved you. Um, that's a totally different Greek word. Through this passage, there's three different Greek words, right? Where it says, go show yourself to the priest as they went, they're cleansed. That's um, one word. And then, when the one guy sees that he's restored, that's the second word. But here, it's not just that he's made well. The word is um, sozo, 
which uh, I think is closer to home. I think saved is a closer translation. 93 times in the Bible it's translated as saved, and only three times it's translated heal. But it's to keep safe, sound, whole. It's used in verses like Matthew one twenty one when uh, the angel Gabriel tells Mary who Jesus is going to be, right? His mom says, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. It's used in um, John 3.17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. So I think, and I th- um, there's actually a lot of, I'm not alone in this, um, that the word is better translated saved, right? So I think this guy, not only is he physically healed, but he's spiritually healed, right? And his response is he comes back to give thanks. He comes back to praise. He humbles himself, you know, and he just recognizes who he is in light of who God is. And I love that picture because it's, it's the place that we all find ourselves, right? We're outside the kingdom of God. Romans 5 tells us that um, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, right? So we're isolated, we're separated, and that the wages of our sin is death. We have no merit to come to him, no manner in which to get to him, right? And then he makes himself in our location, right? He makes himself available to us. We cry out to him, Jesus, save us. Master, heal me. Have mercy on me, right? And he's faithful to do it. He asks for faith. We put our faith in him and he restores, right? He heals. And then the last step that should be in all of our lives is thanks, right? Thankfulness. We praise him for who he is, for what he's done. And that's where the bar is set. But then, you know, he keeps like piling on more and more goodness. Like, oh, you need a car. That's good. It's not promised, but it's just because he's faithful. You know, oh, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's not promised that everyone gets married, but it's just because he's faithful and he's good. You know, and he provides all these blessings in our lives. And the response should be, thank you, Lord. Like, I don't deserve this. You know, I humble myself. You're so good to me. You're so faithful. Um, and God notices Right and um, in closing, I want to go to uh, Romans one twenty one because I think uh, there's there's a verse that kind of paints uh, just a distinction a distinction between what does thankfulness look like and you know what does an unbeliever do. I'm gonna start in eighteen, but it, it, I think it's just twenty one on there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Right, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Right, So unnatural man or unregenerate man Sinners lost, um, people who don't know Jesus yet. They're without excuse, right? Because God says he's revealed himself to them. And then look at the description. For although they knew God, meaning they knew about him because he revealed himself through the creation of everything. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's the same word, uh, doxazo, right? Where the guy gives praise loudly. That's the same word. They did not honor him and they did not give thanks. Eucharisteo. It's the same word as the other guy. So, one of the marks of an, uh, an unsaved person's life is they may be grateful for what they have. They may be thankful, but it's not placed in the right place. It's not put in the right 
person. Does that make sense? They're thankful. They can be grateful. Wow, I'm so blessed. And I'll thank my lucky stars, right? It never goes up to the one who deserves it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, right? But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. But the Bible makes very clear, you know, God deserves our praise and deserves our thanks. And just for us to be grateful is one thing, but it should translate into you know, worship. It should translate into the way that we live a humble life. And it should translate into giving thanks for everything, everything that he's given. Um, and with that, I think I'm going to close in prayer. So why don't you bow your heads with me um, and we'll, we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we, we do thank you that um, just your mercy is so abundant on our lives. We do thank you that your goodness and your faithfulness, um, as Psalm 23 says, Lord, will go with us daily. Surely goodness, surely mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And Lord, I just pray that as we um, come to Thanksgiving, Lord, as we come to this time of really taking time to reflect on all your mercy, all your goodness, all the blessings that you've given so far above and beyond just um, what you've promised, Lord, as we look at the excess blessing that you provide, I just pray that we would have that heart that declares praise to you, Lord, that thanks you for everything. I pray that we would humble ourselves, Lord, as we recognize that we didn't earn it, we didn't uh, work for it, Lord, we might have thought we did, but ultimately, if you don't do the work, Lord, if you don't build the house, it's it crumbles, Lord. And if you don't watch over, the watchman stays awake in vain, Lord. So it's all your blessing. It's all your goodness. And Father, would that just translate into a thankful life on our part, Lord, as we spend time with family and friends? I just pray that we would go out of our way, Lord, to share just about the blessings that you've provided. And I pray that um, you would just be glorified through all of that, Lord. So we love you. We thank you. And uh, we ask that you just go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Also, a um, announcement. I get to do announcements. This is the first time I've ever done announcements and taught on Sunday, which is both fun. Um, we're not having a Thursday night home group because it's uh, Thanksgiving. So, you know, we hope that you guys would be with family, be with friends, and get to love on one another. But um, I think we'll close with a song. Cool. So why don't you stand?